So we were in Hermans, Jamaica, and so if you wanted to see where we were last Saturday, then, uh, there we go, that would help. You would see that we were here in Jamaica. Now, before you uh, say, well, gosh, we helped pay for 11 people to go to the beaches of Jamaica, and you wonder whether you spent your money well, <laughs> this was the scenes from that Saturday before we flew back. We flew into Montego Bay, which is a tourist destination, especially for Americans. So we, were, we flew into that airport, we went to Hermans, and then we went back to uh, Montego Bay on Saturday so that we could spend the day at the beach. And so we did enjoy the beach and the sun and the clear water and the nice sandy beaches and the beautiful temperatures. But that was our reward for the week of work that we did uh, before then. Hermans isn't near Montego Bay. It is, Montego Bay is in the northwest corner of the island of Jamaica. Harmans is more central and almost all the way at the bottom of the island. In fact, it was a three and a half hour drive from uh, Montego Bay into the mountains of Hermans. If you've ever been to the mountains of Virginia or West Virginia, it's very similar. Of course, the trees are different there. They have palm trees and other types of trees growing there. But when you look at the hillside, it's green, and it reminded me a lot of southwest Virginia. But also reminded me of southwest Virginia was the, the poverty there. It is a, a place of poverty. It's a place, in fact, uh, where mining takes place. There is a mining company that employs some of the people of the town, but most of the people struggle to find work because there's very few jobs with the mining company and very few opportunities outside of that. In fact, the second biggest employer in the town is the ministry that we went with one by one to Jamaica. They do hire uh, Jamaicans while Americans are there serving for the week. So that's why I like uh, going with them because the more Americans who go, the more Jamaicans get to work and are paid a salary. And that helps them in their poverty and helps them to get out of poverty. So we were there for the week, as I said, a, a mining town. The, uh, the mining company there mines um, minerals from the ground that is used to make aluminum. So if you have a soft drink in your aluminum can, maybe parts of that process came actually from Harmons, Jamaica. We were there, and this is what we did. Well, there's a team. There were 11 of us from Olive Branch. There were 23 of us all together from our Concord Baptist Association. And there were uh, two families from Missouri that were also there. The one family was a mom and her two teenagers, and another family that was there was a young couple, a husband and wife. So they joined us uh, for the week. Here is our Olive Branch group, and that is the sign that welcomes you into the town of Harmons. So what did we do that week? We built a house. Here is the family for whom we built the house, and here is uh, the sister and a brother I believe, to the mom who's actually going to live in the house. And this is the husband and child of the woman that you saw in the previous picture there on the right. That's the, excuse me, that's the daughter of the mom who we built the house for. This is her husband and her child. I think a little boy. So here's how the house begins. With styrofoam walls. Okay, so a little bit different than construction around here. On a foundation with some rebarb coming up from the concrete foundation, you put the 
walls on and see, yes, I did do some work. It wasn't just at the beach. And also what goes on the walls after the walls are put up is uh, cement. And the way that they make it there, they, there's a process. They're basically dirt that has rocks in it. They call it uh, mall. It's spelled M-A-R-L, but they call it like the shopping mall. Okay, So you, part of the process is having to sift that so that you get the rocks out. And then the, after the rocks are out, that's mixed with water and mixed with cement. And then that is put on the walls of the house. So there's several pictures here of the fun day that Amanda, Miriam, and Rebecca had uh, <laughs> sifting all of that mall. There's even an action shot going through. So then that's put on the wall. There's a picture of Chase putting it on the wall after it's all been mixed together. And then there he is even carrying it into the house. And so notice the house is looking different now after day two. There's some more of our group. There's uh, Debbie. This is the next day where the second coat's put on. So Johnny and I are there. We did a lot of toting water buckets and buckets full of cement. More sifting. And here is the house when it's completed on Friday. This is the daughter of the mom who will live in there. She was presented with a Bible and a plaque and the keys to the house. So there's the house. They will paint it later once it's cured and they paint all their homes with bright colors so it will stand out. And yes, you're looking at the house and thinking that's very small and it is. It's about 12 by 16, so you may actually have a room in your house that's that size or about that size, and it does have electricity, and there are families that live in there, and they sometimes have as many as six people living in it. So they are a lot of people in a small place. But when you don't have any place to live, of course, to have a house like this means a lot. And so while we're there that week, we build a house, but as I said, the Jamaicans really build it. We just kind of took the water for them. <laughs> they build it, and we, with the money that, we, that uh, was part of our payment to go down there, they pay the workers, pay for the supplies, so that's why we're able to provide a house for uh, someone. They build a house every week. If they have enough people, they build two houses each week, and so the house obviously goes on a foundation, so we built a foundation that will be used in two weeks for another group, and so you see Kim having a Good time there. More toting buckets. And that was the hottest day. No shade. It was probably 90 degrees. And that's what we finished was a foundation. Again, the Jamaicans did most of the work. But so another group will come in a couple weeks and they'll build a house on that foundation for another family. Well, also, everybody that went down to Jamaica took two suitcases weighing 50 pounds filled with stuff. Not for us, but to give to the Jamaicans. A lot of that was clothes. You saw in the bulletin what we were asking donations for. So there were tools and clothes and toiletries, all that we took down there. And then that is sorted and put into a store. And the people in Harmons can come and buy, uh, at a nominal price, uh, the, the items that we brought down. And so here is some of our team sorting that day. You see Deborah and Debbie, and that's also Wanda from Sanford Memorial. Here are girls again sorting through the clothes, putting them on the racks for everyone to buy. Some also went to a school and mentor, um, 
tutored some of the children. So you'll see in these pictures Amanda and Miriam and Rebecca there in the school. There's also Hope. Also, there was some digging of a pit. Chase had to do that one day. <laughs> but uh, these are some guys from Concord Baptist who were doing this on the day they took the pictures. Move dirt. So a lot of physical labor, as you're seeing. There's Chase again with the wheelbarrow. You notice the container that's there, the blue container in the right of the picture. They wanted to put another one next to it, but this pile of mall was in the way. So we had to move that out of the way so they could put another container there. So a lot of physical labor, right? Building a house, building a foundation, digging a pit, hauling dirt, moving dirt. But we also had some fun as well. You can see uh, every evening we had an activity. On Monday night we had invited the community to come and we had games for the children, much like we do for our fall festivals. So there was uh, Uno, I think, is here the next picture. Well, there's the scholars of the group. As you can see, those guys were uh, uh, deep in study. I don't know what they're <laughs> doing there anyway. It was, it was Monday night. There was Uno. There was face painting. There was crafts. There's Chase doing some face painting. So uh, we did that on Monday night. Also, the community came on Friday night. And on Friday night, we had some dancing and, and also some ice cream. So we did that on uh, Monday and Friday night, invited the community to come. On a Tuesday night, we went into the community and went to homes of uh, folks that invited us there for dinner. On Wednesday night, we had worship. And on Thursday night, we reflected on our week and also washed each other's feet. On Friday, after the dedication of the house, some of us hiked up a mountain. And so this is at the top of a very steep mountain. We all made it eventually, not all together, though. And the, man, the Jamaican you see all the way over into the right of the picture, his nickname is Stickman. And he had walking sticks and wooden crosses. You can see he's got one around his neck that uh, were sort of were for sale, but also kind of a, uh, uh, a badge of honor, I guess, that you actually made it up there and you were going back down. Uh, we visited a boy's home, an infirmary I'll talk about in a moment, the evening activities, the dinner in the local home, and we had devotions and Bible teaching every day. I wanted to talk most of all about the faith walk. One of the things we also did, each day there was a group of us that went into the town of Harmons and we went to visit Christians who were in the town and also to visit anyone that we ran into as we walked around to talk to them. The person who led us, his nickname was Big Man. You can see him here uh, praying with the group that went that day. And when they went to these homes, they heard testimony of the Jamaicans and how God had worked in their lives. And I want to share three stories with you today that I learned when I went on my faith walk. As you see in this picture, there's a big man to the right, and we're in the house of Jane, who was sitting in the pink T-shirt on her bed. And you can see it was a very hot day and very hot in her house. But this is the testimony she gave. Jane has 11 children. So just stop and think about that for a moment, okay? When... Uh, seven of her children were still very young. She had four that were older, seven still very young. Her husband died. And so she was a widow with especially seven young children to feed and to care for. She didn't have a means of earning a living. 
she did not have immediate family that could take care of her. She did not have a government that had social programs that could help her. And so she found herself relying on one person who she knew could help her, and that was God. I, when she told her story, I thought a lot about uh, the widow in Elijah's day. If you remember that story, Elijah was coming, uh, was told to, to come to a widow who was ready to make the last meal for her and her son, and then they were going to starve to death because a famine had been in the land because it had no rain for three years. But God provided for that widow, provided for her son and Elijah until the famine and the drought was over. And so much like God took care of the widow in Elijah's day, God took care of Jane. She would pray. She would say to God, God, my children are crying to me for food, so I'm crying to you. I love the way she used faith with her prayers. She would take a pot and put water in and boil it on the stove, expecting that the food was going to come. Now, isn't that faith? I mean, don't we often pray and when we don't get what we ask for, we say, well, gosh, that's what I thought would happen. <laughs> well, if that's what you thought would happen, why'd you bother to pray? There's no faith in that. But she had the faith not only to ask, but to expect and with faith to make preparations for the food that would come. Obviously, it didn't come immediately when she prayed or every time she put that pot on the stove. Sometimes she said the pot would, all the water would boil out of it and no food would come at that moment. But God did provide for her. When she was needing provision, God provided over and over and over through people who knew her plight and through uh, friends and Christians and people from the churches. And it was amazing to hear how God met her every need for all those years to raise all of those children for the glory of God. Her testimony was all about God, about how he is faithful and about how he provides. Reminded me, speaking of Elijah, this verse in James, where James tells us to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for, four th for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Elijah was just an ordinary man, but he had faith, and he prayed, and God answered that prayer. God told him what to pray for, kind of a strange prayer, to pray for no rain, but it was God's judgment on the people. When God told him to pray for rain, he did, and it rained. We can have the same effect with our prayers if we pray with faith. And that's what James's point is, and James' life's a living example of that. Here's another group. They went on a faith walk. I didn't have a picture of the next person I want to tell you about. Her name is Matilda. Matilda, when we met her a week or so ago, she's in her 80s now, but she had a dream several years ago, decades ago, in which there were people in white clothes delivering babies, and they asked her in the dream, do you want to watch? And she said yes. And so she watched. And then when she woke up from the dream, she had the knowledge of how to help deliver babies. And that's what she did for 40 years. She delivered nearly 1,000 children in that time. Can you imagine that? And she did so in that time, over all those decades, those many babies, not one baby died. 
Not one mother died. And she gave all the glory to God as one who gave her, in a supernatural way, this gift. To be a midwife. To deliver babies. In fact, big man was delivered by Matilda. <laughs> so, she's, what I loved about her testimony was she acknowledged that it was God who gave her the gift. It was her place to be obedient and to use that gift and to bless others. And it reminds me of how God has given all of us a gift and we are commanded to use that gift. Now, ladies, I don't know how this works, but this is what she said. I'm just quoting her. She had seven children. She said the last four children she had, she delivered herself. Okay, I, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I don't want to think too much about that, but that's what she said. But she said it was a gift that God had given her, and she was going to be obedient. Isn't that true for all of us? And don't we want to hear one day when we stand before Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Matilda will hear that. She's a believer. She used her gift, and she did so for the glory of God. The last person I want to tell you about is Rebecca. As I said earlier, we went to, on uh, Wednesday, I believe it was, we went to a place they called an infirmary. We would probably call it a nursing home. But it was a little bit different than a nursing home. They did have elderly people there who couldn't take care of themselves, but they also had uh, mentally disabled people and, and physically disabled people who weren't necessarily elderly. They just could not take care of themselves. So you can imagine what kind of place it was. It had odd smells. You saw people in pitiful states, people without limbs, people not in the right mind. In fact, I hear most people say they would rather die than have to live their lives in a place like that. But when we were there, God is there. His people are there. I didn't have a picture of the infirmary, but this gives you an idea of sort of like the rooms. This looks more like a hospital. They did have beds, though, sort of like this, about six to a room, and that's where they would sleep. That's where they would spend a lot of their time. They had some common areas they could hang out in. But there was a woman that we met named Rebecca. We had a good conversation. She was asking about our time in Jamaica. We were talking about the food we were eating, about how we'd eaten chicken every day, and we did. But, uh, you know, Jamaica is famous for their jerk spice chicken. And so we got it authentically there on the island and not some... Uh, Americanized, watered-down version of it. So it was delicious. But she was also telling us about another dish that we had not had that was also famous in Jamaica. And she also told us about her walk with God. And what amazed me about Rebecca was how thankful she was. Now remember where she's living. I didn't ask her, but it looked as though probably she was almost blind, if not blind. And living in a place that most of us would say you'd rather die than be there. But she thanked the Lord for what he had done for her, what he had given her. And I was reminded that if she can be thankful there, I can be thankful anywhere. And really, any of us can be. 
For Paul reminds us, give thanks in everything. And notice, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God wants us to be thankful. God has saved us. And you know, saving us from hell and saving us from, uh, from sin and saving us from death, you know, that's, that by itself is enough to thank God every day, every day of our life, and to thank God every moment of eternity. That in itself, if He never gave us anything else, that would be enough to praise Him and to thank Him. But think about all the other things He's given us. And how can we then not be people who are grateful and thankful when He has given us so much? In fact, Rebecca sang a song. And I want to end by singing it to you. It was a song I hadn't heard since I was a boy. I remember hearing it. The melody came back immediately. I think the words that I learned were slightly different than these. But the message is the same. It brought back memories of being in Sunday school. But also a reminder of how we are to be thankful. So this is the song. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. He healed my body, saved my soul, baptized me with the Holy Ghost. Stop and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. And Rebecca in that infirmary, saying that to me about how thankful she was for what God had done. How can we do any less? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have done so much for us. I thank you, Lord, for the safety and protection you gave our team. I thank you for the lessons that you taught us. I thank you for the lives that we changed. I also pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who pray with great faith and to be people who are grateful for what you had given us and people who use our gifts to your glory. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place so overwhelmed by your love, and by your grace. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.